Mescalero. As you probably know by now, you're listening to a podcast. You get a chance for some of the unique stories out there um, to be heard and, if anything, inspire our community. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Riding on the Wall podcast. I go by the name of Chris Frizzell. Today, we have in the room uh, Blue Shendo, and we have also have a special guest with us today. Uh, everybody give it up for Amber Luna, ladies and gentlemen. All right. What's up, guys? Sorry What's up? Hey, you know, it's okay to be rusty, man. Yeah, it's um, been, what, three months, four months? It seems like, dude. Yeah. So, to everybody that's listening, wondering where we've been, I know we said last episode we were going to come back and we were going to try to make things more regular again, but we went through another shutdown. Um, things got a little bit harder for us to, to get together. The res went through that lockdown. Yeah. So, we couldn't even leave our houses. Um, so, you know, we had to take another break, but... The, the awesome thing about the podcast is we can do whatever we want with it. We don't have a boss. Um, we don't have anyone to answer to necessarily. So um, thank you for tuning back into this episode as we are coming back. Um, Amber, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, we, have, we have Amber in the room with us, and, and she's uh, a little nervous. And I told her I said, it's okay to be nervous. She don't it, look nervous to me. She doesn't. <laughs> I think she has like this like this um character that she knows how to how to get into when she's in, in nervous situations because she's playing this nervous nervousness pretty well but um so what what brought us to this point is one day um we we're working this event for the end of mountain gods and we're getting ready to start a, a concert night and amber's down doing her thing she's uh, she's the sergeant major on the ground and she's commanding commanding the troops telling people where they need to be and somebody brought something up they brought up like a kind of like a, a hardship or something and and amber brought up a little bit of her story and it was fascinating she only told like five minutes of her life maybe and i was hooked and i was thinking like that's the next guess like if i can never work up the nerve to ask her like that's got to be the next guess for sure um but we, we had some stuff we had to work out, and it took some time for us to put the podcast together, and you know, but here we are. We finally, we finally got Amber, and um, Amber, let's, uh, let's start out real slow. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, let, me, let me introduce you to, to all the listeners. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where you're from, where you were born? Well, of course, my name is Amber Luna. I was born in Spokane, Washington. I did not know that. And uh, when I was young, under the age of one, my parents relocated to the Bay Area, California, like Oakland, San Francisco area. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, that's where my story started, was in Oakland, California. Wow. Okay. So how old were you, uh, like, until you moved? So I was 12, almost uh -huh. 13 when we moved. Yeah. And we moved to Carrizozo, New Mexico. So you grew up in the Bay Area, though? Yes. Nice. I've, yeah. I've been there a couple times. So you went from Washington to California to Carrizozo? Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Culture shock. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what, 
Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your family? Like, did you did you move with your parents? Did you have siblings at the time? No. Um, so we'll get into that part of the story. But um, my mom actually ran away with us. Um, so it was my mom, um, myself, and my little brother, who oh. is five and a half years younger than I. Okay. Do we need to provide any any backstory to like um, the California part? Um, or does it just kind of start at that point? Most of the stories are in California. Okay. All right. So when you're when you're little, um, what age did you say you were again? Whenever you moved from Washington to California. So we, I was one years one year old when we moved to mm-hmm. California. And so, uh, what happened? My parents met in Spokane, Washington, mm-hmm. and um, it was later found out that my dad was in Spokane, Washington because he was trying to recover from a, dr- a drug addiction. Oh, okay. And okay. my mom lived there with her family. Mm-hmm. And they met at a bus stop, and the rest is history with me. No, oh, okay. My little brother. How old were your parents at the time? My mom was seventeen, oh. and I think my dad was twenty-one. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I can kind of kind of feel like the story is about to go ahead and dive into some detail. And before before the story gets deep, you know, I just want people to know like Amber has a huge heart. So if you hear her, if you hear her crying a little bit on the mic, you know, it's it's just who she is as a person. And anybody that ever meets her knows like she's 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 very caring and there's you can tell there's a big heart behind everything that she does and stuff which is why i think it's um she's a fascinating person uh when i first met you i was thinking man your personality is like too big and um i had to bartend for you and you would go behind the bar like i wouldn't see you too much but you know when you would come check on the tap house you'd go behind the bar and i'd be like hey get out of this bar because you're taking all the attention man your your personality is so big you know but it's you've got a lot of emotion in you, and I can tell. And then I'm I'm attracted to those types of personalities. So uh, for people that are listening, if you're hearing some some tears coming and some, you know, just know that she's very passionate. Um, she cares a lot about what she's you know who she's around and her life and her family and her friends. Got a big heart and um, try not to be too judgmental on her. All right. So we're gonna I guess we're gonna kick the story off. Are we ready to go? We're ready. Are you ready to go? All <laughs> right, so let's hit those details in, uh, in California. Okay. Okay, so uh, my dad, uh, they moved back to California. He started a small construction roofing business. Um, him and my mom were doing great. They had a little house. They had me. Um, my mom got pregnant with my brother, and my dad started his lifestyle again by doing drugs. And the drug choice, his reasoning behind it was if he did more drugs, he could do more work. Mm. So it spiraled out of control. Um, Not only was he an alcoholic, but he was a heroin user. Um, So what happened there was my dad, of course, lost the business. Mm -hmm. And so my first conscious memories, my brother was probably three, so that would have made me about almost nine mm-hmm. and we moved into an apartment and the apartment was an old Victorian house on East 14th by Lake Merritt in Oakland, California mm-hmm. um, and it was an old Victorian house they had turned each level into apartments mm-hmm. and we lived on the third floor um, it was a rough neighborhood um, I was definitely the minority there oh really? yeah for sure <laughs> um you know, and, and we tried to make the best of it. And 
that's when things started to get really dark. Um, my dad would beat my mom. Um, he would take off of the money. We had no groceries. Uh, funny story, I won't eat grape jelly to this day because that's what we ate for two weeks one time with biscuits. But mm-hmm. I, know, I know you don't think it's funny, but I despise anything grape. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually we got kicked out of the apartment um, for non-payment. My mom tried to do the best she could. She was terrified of my dad. Mm-hmm. And my dad would have bouts of sobriety. And then, you know, he would surprise us and say, we're going to church. And then the next thing I would know, we wouldn't, you know, no more church. He was drinking and drugging and those kind of things. And um, then we ended up in a motel. Mm-hmm. And the motel was pretty bad. And my mom would work like two or three jobs the best she could to, you know, try to keep up with us. But my dad would take the money. And ultimately, we moved into a tent on a river. Um, and how old were you at that time? Uh, about 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so we moved into the tent. It was uh, a big green Coleman tent. And I have some fond memories of the river. It was, uh, the camping spot was called, it was right on the Niles River. And so... You know, we would bathe there, we would eat there, all that stuff. And that's when the stories really got dark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my little brother wasn't in school yet, and I still was in school. And believe it or not, education was important to my dad, so they would drive me to Castro Valley for school, which is probably about 30 miles. Yeah. And then I would walk home to the babysitter, and my dad would pick me up. And... There was one day I was walking home from the babysitters, and I heard a car coming, but it was kind of coming slow, and then I heard a little boy crying. And when I turned around, uh, my dad was driving, but he was slumped over, and the windows were broken out of the car, and um, my brother was in the back seat, and he was bleeding from his eyes. So that was the day I learned how to drive. Wow. <laughs> my, uh... What, what had happened to him from ble- bleeding? Both? So, he was at a park uh-huh. by, buying drugs. Okay. And he tried to rip off the drug dealer. Oh. And they threw bricks at the car, and they beat him with the bricks. And they stabbed him. And so, I guess since... I don't know what his theory was to come and find me first. Uh-huh. Um, but... The, the glass went in your in your brother's eyes? Yeah, the glass was in my brother's eyes, and he was cut all over. You know, he, he was a little guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, my dad actually scooted over to the passenger seat, and he explained the whole process of driving, that when he would say clutch, I had to push in the far left pedal. Oh, wow, it was a standard, too. Yes. Yeah. And so um, that was the day I drove on the Nimitz Freeway to the hospital. Wow. You know, so some people have, like, these stories of being able to learn how to drive with their dad and it's it's um in the parking lot and they have these memories like you know but you, you went through this it's it's insane you know and i don't want to interrupt you and just saying like wow that's that's not a you that's that's not the right way to learn how to drive you exactly know? but that was my normal mm-hmm. you know so and and i mean i'm i'm not trying to dog my parents or you know absolutely they both had their demons and they thought they were young too very yeah, young. yeah. Mm, and, I, I respect that about you big time, you know. 
my mom had a lifetime of trauma before she met my dad. Mm-hmm. My dad also. So, you know, they came to the party with a whole lot of baggage already. And, and they tried to love us the best they could. Was it good? I mean, do I ever doubt that my parents didn't love me? No. They just made some bad choices. Mm-hmm. So. So, um, you, did you, did you have to go through like on the regular, just things like that? And, and, you know, just having to put to, put the pieces together back for your, for your dad or. Every day. Um, so like I said, my mom was at work a lot Mm because she tried to keep, you know, money coming and she was terrified of my dad. And so we spent a lot of time with my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not proud of it, but I stole groceries to feed my brother. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we were made fun of at school. Um, you know, because we never had new clothes. We would buy clothes at the Goodwill and, you know, just, I mean, every kid has a bully story, yeah. you know, that people are not nice people. Um, but, I mean, just a culmination of everything. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. So. So then what got to the point where you guys had to run away? Or was that before or after? Well, it was a while after. Oh, okay. So we spent two years in the tent. Um, there was multiple things. Um, my dad and my uncle were in cahoots together, if you will. Um, my grandma lived in a duplex apartment, and I was coloring on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was then. I know now that it was a shotgun racking. Uh-huh. And when I looked up, there was a whole SWAT team surrounded the apartment, and they raided the house. And um, my mom was coming upstairs from the basement because we would go there to do my laundry, our mm-hmm. laundry. And um, my mom threw the laundry basket, and I remember she went to pick me up, but they had drawn the guns on her. So they got us all out of the house, and they tore the whole house apart. They cut cushions. They tore it upside down. So come to find out, my dad and my uncle had robbed a, a pharmacy. Mm-hmm. So they were looking for those items. Um, they never found the items. My mom found them several days later in the old Hoover canister vacuums they used to pull. Mm-hmm. And she tried to flush them down the toilet, and she ended up in the hospital. So he, from? from my dad beating oh, her I severely. Uh, how many years did you, did you spend living like this? Well, in... 1988 my mom had finally had enough we had went from motel to motel we had lived you know in tents um she just had enough and like i said she was terrified of my father terrified Mm -hmm. and she just she got a paycheck one day and uh it was 126 dollars and she had told my dad that she was going to go do some laundry because normally my dad never let my mom out of his sight he would pick the kid, you know, pick us up. And um, I came running out of school, and my mom was driving, and my brother was in the car, and my heart just kind of dropped because I knew something was different. Mm-hmm. And I got in the car, and my mom was crying, and she said, are you ready to go? And I said, okay, where are we going? And she said, we're leaving. And I remember we drove, it seemed like weeks, but it was only a couple days. Mm-hmm. She shook the entire time. Um, she didn't sleep. She was scared. And uh, we landed in Carrizozo, New Mexico. And oh. this was 1988? Yes. And how old was your brother? Um, he was six. He was six years old? Mm-hmm. 
Did he know what was going on? No, I protected him a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, you know, my job. I made sure my brother was safe and mm-hmm. that he didn't see the bad things. And, you know, so he was he was protected a lot. I mean, he still has trauma and he still sees, some, you know, saw some things, but nothing like I did. Yeah. yeah. So was your mom just trying to get out in the middle of nowhere? Did she, was that why she picked Carrizozo? No, or? actually, her mom lived there. Oh, really? I, I guess uh, her stepdad had some health issues, and Carrizozo was, like, low enough altitude, and it was dry that he could breathe. And yeah. We actually got there Halloween day. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, before we exit your um, California living, um, did you have, like, good memories of being in California? Of course. Yeah. Did you um, enjoy, like, the city life and your friends there? Well, I did enjoy the city life. Um, We didn't keep a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And as bad as I've made my father sound now, he had good traits. Yeah. He he was a kid at heart. Mm -hmm. So he loved to play games. Mm -hmm. So there was one time he told my brother and I, do you want to go see where King Kong lives? Cool. Who doesn't want to see where King Kong lives? (laughs) Yeah. So we're in a park, and we come to this... It's like a concrete culvert, and the fence is cut, there's moss, and the culvert is probably, it seemed like miles long. He said, we have to crawl through here. So my dad went first, and I was following, and my brother was behind, and my brother was crying because it was kind of dank and musty and, you know, setting the whole scene. Yeah. So we get out of the culvert to see these 30, 40-foot-tall wood pillars with iron rods and moss hanging down and I just remember my brother seeing it and he screamed and went crawling back to the culvert (laughs) and my dad had this infectious laugh it was like a almost like a Santa Claus belly laugh yeah and he made me climb up and I was scared to death I'm thinking I'm gonna see King Kong (laughs) (laughs) so when I got to the top I looked over and it was just the spillway to a lake you know that's, it wasn't anything crazy, but my dad had done it up so much, and I remember my brother was just, you could hear him, <laughs> you know, echoing the cries like, no, King Kong. <laughs> so you have, you do have like, you know, besides like what you're saying, the bad stuff, there's a lot of good stuff there too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You had, did you actually make like good friends there that you had to say goodbye, or that you just didn't say goodbye to but left? Um, actually, there was these... Uh, quadruplet sisters that mm-hmm. lived with their dad on the campground oh. and we used to play together all the time oh wow so i i don't ever know what happened to them yeah and so those were we played together a lot mm-hmm. you know and we shared you know campfire stories and those kind of things well, so you guys probably relied like really heavy on on the the food and stuff you got from school and stuff, right? Absolutely. So, what did what did you guys do like during the summers and time for for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Um, well, like I said, we we ate biscuits and grape jelly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, the times weren't always super dark, mm-hmm. so you know we would cook out and those kind of things. And my grandma lived in Castro Valley, which, like I said, was about thirty miles away, mm-hmm. and. Um, I'm not sure what the whole story is, why they didn't intervene or, you know, mm-hmm. those those stories. But, you know, we would spend a lot of time at her house in the summertime mm-hmm. riding bikes. And my they would take us to the flea market. And I can remember in California, they have all that fresh sourdough. Uh-huh. And so they would walk around selling these hot loaves of sourdough and, like, salami. And to this day, that's my favorite snack because it oh. reminds me of 
the flea market and no yeah yeah um do you uh, do you have or did you have any like family or cousins or it was just you guys just you your mom your dad and your brother well my my dad's family lived there so he has my dad was the oldest mm-hmm. and then he has a brother named Andrew um but again, Andrew made a lot of bad choices, so he was in and out of prison all the time. Mm-hmm. Then he has a sister named Tammy, um, and she she was successful, and she had a daughter. She was a single mom. Um, and then he has a little brother, Bruce. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bruce, my Uncle Bruce and my Aunt Janet actually live in Washington State. Okay. But so, you didn't see anybody there in California? Just my grandmother, oh, my they, dad's you were mom. Saying, yeah. Mm-hmm, and okay. then um, my Aunt Tammy and her daughter. And do you ever talk to your grandmother or do you ever get in, t- in touch with her? No, my grandma passed about 11 years ago. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so um, I still talk to my Uncle Bruce. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's my favorite uncle. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you did get back in touch with him. And yeah. Yeah. So we actually got to go see him a couple years ago and we got to see oh, my wow. kid. Oh, wow. Dang, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So uh, when you landed in Carrizozo, you were 10 years old, you said? No, uh, or, it was in 88, so I was 12. Oh, 12, yeah. okay. You were so, 12 and your brother was 6. Yes. Okay. So were you raising in Carrizozo? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And do you talk, do you have a relationship with your dad now or did you guys end up talking to him again? Or? So what happened was, uh, so we went to Carrizozo, we started school. Um, my mom ultimately was able to file divorce papers and because they couldn't find him, they granted her the divorce. Um, so, you know, I grew up in Carrizozo. I went to high school, uh, best friends, you know, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the night before graduation, we were doing a senior roast and toast dinner, mm-hmm. you know, and it was my turn and everybody's watching the big screen with all the pictures and they're laughing, you know, cause baby pictures, all that good stuff. And I just heard from the back of the room that I have a story. And I recognized the voice. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, ne- I never turned around, and he told the story about when I was three, and we were at the drive-in movie, and I needed the restroom. So all the men let him go in front since he had me. So I used the restroom, and he said, yay, good girl, Amber, good girl. Well, then he used the restroom, and I said, good girl, Daddy, good girl. <laughs> and uh, the whole restroom, you know. So that was the story he told, and I turned around, and I was at a loss for words. Um, I hadn't seen him. I, my dad was a very good-looking man. Um, and at that point, he was frail. He was real skinny. He was super dirty. So I guess he had been riding the trains. Oh. You know, all over looking for us. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah, so um, I was kind of in shock. Um, my husband now, who was my boyfriend then, had never met my dad, mm-hmm. of course. Um, and then my mom and my stepdad were gracious enough to invite my dad and his companion into their house to shower. Wow. They bought him new clothes, so they were presentable for graduation. Wow. Yeah. So he, did he did he plan that, or did he just show up at the right time, or how did that work? I don't know. To this day, I don't know if it was planned or if it just, you know, coincidence, right yeah. place, right time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was kind of shocked. He had showed up with a new wife. Wow. And uh, 
I mean, he looked like a hobo. Did you know it was him as soon as you heard his voice or after you got to know him? Tell no, the story. as soon as I heard his voice, I knew it was him. Wow. Were you were you scared or were you excited or were you nervous? I was all of the above. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I had, you know, just silent tears streaming down. Like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what, what he was going to say, you know, because my mom just, she kidnapped us, basically. And that was at a roast and toast dinner? Yeah, like your senior. So was there other seniors and other, like, classmates around and stuff like that? My entire graduating class and their parents. Wow. Did they kind of know? Did they, like, recognize the situation and... Well, I didn't really talk about my story because I was embarrassed. Yeah. You know? Um, So, my best friend knew. You know, my boyfriend knew. Mm -hmm. My mom was there. Kind of thing. My little brother was, I think, in shock, uh-huh. you know. Um, but he was never angry. He never talked bad. It was kind of like we're in the moment now. Right. And so. And so he um, he made it to the graduation. Watch watch you get did. your diploma. He did. With um with that being said, afterwards, you know, were you guys like? celebrating together did you did you spend like time with him and catch up with him and talk to him about you know the time lost uh we did um and actually so because they were i don't know what do you call vagabonds maybe (laughs) they they were like travelers oh you know nomads yes nomads (laughs) is good um they found a camping site over there in cedar creek Mm -hmm. so i visited him and his wife and, uh, How did it feel to walk down to that campsite to see him? It was just odd. Like I wanted him to be okay, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, but he did not look okay. Like he was not healthy, and uh, he had obviously been drinking, and you know his wife wasn't healthy, and the lifestyle they were living, you know, those kind of things. It was it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and I was also embarrassed, you know. Yeah. Like, because you know, yeah. my mom, my mom had remarried, and you know we had a nice house we lived in, mm-hmm. those kind of things. So yeah, it was different. Well, I I feel like most, it I think it's kind of hard for most fathers to break that natural bond with their their daughter. You know, father and daughter have like a strong bond. So that's um, always interesting to me to pay attention to is how women perceive their fathers and stuff. And I think it's very important that, you know, if you have any daughters, like you, you've got to recognize that connection because it's unbreakable, you know? And like you you were saying, as you walked down to the Creek, you were still hoping he was okay. You know, it's, it says a lot about that connection and and you as a person, you know, you're like, you know, even though we went through all that stuff, you know, on your way down to see him at the camp, you're just like, well, I hope he's, he's all right. And that's, that's insane. It's just, it's a crazy it's a crazy concept to me to think about how he just he gone away for so many years and then he's like this character you and the way you told the story he's kind of like this in my head he's like this he's almost like a fictional character you know like like i gotta like believe in this guy somehow you know like and you got me to believe in him like i feel like santa claus i almost felt like i was there with looking at king kong with you and when he showed when he when he said he gave that voice, he just he shows up in dramatic fashion and says, "I have a story." Like who shows up like that? Right. You know, this guy's a character too, and um, that that's kind of what I like about the story is that you you gave him a little bit of personality already. You yeah. know, M- well, my dad was larger than life. <laughs> like how you described me when I walked into a room, that's how I felt about my dad. Right. Like, 
he, he was always laughing. He was always joking. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he was the biggest flirt I have ever seen. You know? <laughs> Those kind of things. He, he kind of knew how to get what he wanted. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, that's not always a good thing, but yes. <laughs> after the graduation, did you guys have a relationship after that or how did that work out? We did. So um, they actually ultimately decided to buy a little trailer uh-huh. house, him and his wife, in Capitan, okay. where I live now. Oh. And it was just right around the corner. Yeah. Um, this is another story. So uh, they bought this little trailer, and him and his wife, you know, were fixing it up. At this point, he was still drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, um, my brother was was living with my mom and my stepdad. And my mom allowed my brother to stay there. Well, my dad like I said, had been drinking. I don't know if drugs were involved, um, but my little brother came running to my house, banging on the door. And uh, he said, he told me, he's killing her, he's killing her, he's killing her. So I didn't ask who I knew. It was my dad and his wife. Uh Um, So I went to the trailer, and um, when I got there, he was on the bed, and he was choking her. And there was a rifle on the bed next to them. And I knew if I touched him in that blind rage that he might hurt me. So the only thing I could think to say was, does that make you a man, Dad? And he stopped. Uh-huh. And he looked at me, and he just, like I said, he had this crazy rage. His wife was gasping for air. And I grabbed her, and I said, go, run, go, go, go. So she ran outside, and I told my brother to stay outside. And I was kind of in the hallway. And... My dad stood up, and he had the rifle, and um, he came in the hallway, and he slid down the wall. So he sat on his butt, and he had the rifle next to him. So I sat across from him, V-way. So he was crying, and he said, I'm sick, and if you guys hate me, you won't miss me when I'm gone. And so his wife came back in the house, and she sat next to him so we were all kind of sitting in a v shape me Uh facing them Uh and we didn't realize but she had sat on the barrel of the gun and my dad went to pick it up well i guess he had hit her so much with it that the barrel was cracked and the firing mechanism was off so when my dad went to move it no sound came out but you could smell gunpowder well the gun had ultimately shot her it went into the crease of her bottom and came out her hip. Oh. So the police were called. Uh, my dad was a convicted felon in possession of a firearm, so he was sent away. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he was um, ultimately sent to prison. And this was probably December of 94. Mm-hmm. So you're like in your early 20s at that time? No, I graduated when I was 17. Oh, okay. So uh, they sent him away, and his wife was there, and she had two younger daughters. Uh-huh. Um, so in May of 95, uh-huh. we got a phone call from the Las Lunas prison. Yeah. Um, so my dad was diagnosed with cancer, um, with it was grave. There was nothing they could do. So they were discharging him. Uh So basically they were sending him home to die. Um, So he came back. um, 
and again, it was another time where he had found God. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started to bond together, me, my brother, and my dad. We would hang out together. We would go to breakfast on Saturdays. Um, he convinced us all to go to church with him um, because he said he wanted to get right with at least the Lord before he died. Um, so we actually had a really great summer, a great sober summer for the first time ever with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he passed away the day after Christmas. Of, of what year? Of 95. And you were how old at the so I would have been nineteen. So that oh was like gosh. so two years after grad your graduation. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, a year. So I graduated in ninety four. He died December of ninety five. So man, you, you lived wow. in an entire like how many lifetimes for one person <laughs> yeah. before you were twenty years old? Yeah. It's, it's insane. It's hard to it's hard to swallow. It's hard to believe that you've you've gone through so much at such a young age, you know. But. Um, and still you sit here and I look at you and I just, I can't believe like such a person could have gone through so much. Well, things happen for you, not to you. Right. But, um, so you're 20, oh, you're 19. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I want to hear the next 19 years. Actually, it's amazing. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a few bumps, but. Do you promise? I promise. I got to hold it together in this <laughs> podcast myself. <laughs> All right. Um. So after your your father passed away, did did you did you feel like maybe a big piece of you was missing, or did you feel like it was his his time? Did you feel ready for it? You know, I don't think you can ever feel ready for death. But um, what what was that closure like for you? Well, I was angry. I was angry that he chose drugs for so long. You know that that his love for us wasn't more than his addiction. So. I was angry. I was angry for my brother um, because my dad made videotapes because he knew he was dying. So he made videotapes talking to my brother, showing him how to tie a tie, how to you know shave, what you should do on a date, those mm-hmm. kind of things. But I was angry because my brother missed out on that. Yeah. So. Was um, How did your brother handle his, his loss? Was uh, I'm sure that... I mean, he he was upset about it, mm-hmm. but you have to keep in mind all those years, you know, it was just my brother and I. Yeah. You know, I mean, my mom was there, my stepdad was there, but I made sure my brother was okay. Yeah. Um, Earlier you said uh, things happen for you, not to you. Where did that come from? How did you figure that out in life? I read it actually a long time ago. Really? And if, if you feel like things are happening to you, then you're the victim. Mm-hmm. If you feel like they're happening to you or for, for you, then you're the victor. Yeah. At that time, did you know? Did no. you know at that time? No. No. So, what happened next? Were you? So, okay, I know we jumped 19, but when I was 15 years old, I met Mike Luna. Okay. Um, and the first time I met his family, I thought it was really odd. Because they all hugged and kissed each other hello or goodbye. They all sat down together and ate as a family. And I just thought, man, these people are weird. Uh-huh. You know, I, we didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And the more I was around Mike and his family, the more I was amazed by these people. And they took me in. They loved my brother. So we just started to grow that way. And uh, 
I always said that God sent me the Lunas because my parents weren't readily available. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, it's a good thing you found them found them quick, right? Or you know, however you look at that. But um, what what? So what was your next step in life after you hit you know nineteen, twenty, twenty one? What were you getting into? Well, I was just kind of working and doing my thing. Uh, at this time, Mike and I had moved in together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we hit another bump. Um, so, like I talked about earlier, my mom had her own demons. Um, and they started to come out ugly. Uh, she had a gambling addiction. She was an alcoholic. Um, she just wasn't able to take care of my brother. So, I took him. Was it because of the loss of was she sad? Well, she was sad. That was her first love, but she had already been remarried. Okay. Um, and I mean, um, they had their issues. Was she doing like was she stable? And then she hit that bump that you're talking about. Yes. It just came out of nowhere again. Yes. Okay. And something triggered it, though. I'm sure something triggered it. I don't know if it was her relationship with my stepdad or. You know, she had a lot, a lot of childhood trauma, mm-hmm. um, and that's her story to tell. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then you know the loss of my dad, and just I think all kinds of things. It just caught up with her, and she made horrible choices. Um, you know, like I said, she was gambling. She just wasn't good, and so I made the decision to take my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so he moved in with Mike and I. Um, you know, here I'm barely 19 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and he's 13. Mm-hmm. And so he stayed with us, and we did the best we could to instill in him. You know, he got in trouble. There was times I wanted to wring his neck, <laughs> uh, but I remember one day he came to me, and uh, he said he wanted to go skiing. And this was before he's before he permanently moved in with us. Well, I couldn't afford to take him skiing; it was expensive. So I came up with the bright idea that I would go work on the mountain if oh. they would hire me. Because I heard that every day that you work, you got to take a disky later. Uh-huh. So that was that's when I started working for the tribe. I started on Christmas Day. All, to, nine, all to allow your brother to ski? In 1994, the, I started. Wow. You've been here ever since? Yeah, I've come back and forth up and down the mountain, summertime, winter's up there. That's awesome. Wow, that that's an amazing story. I mean, and now look at you, you know, you have such a big career, you've been working for so long, and you know, this, that, I can't believe that you got a job just so your brother could get a ski pass, you know, that's, that says a lot about you, and how much you care for, for your brother, and I couldn't imagine, you know, what your brother would have had to gone through without you, and it, it's, it's got to be, he's got to know, you know, he's, I'm sure he loves you to death, you know, and that's, it's just, that's a crazy story. And I'm glad you, you took that, that job on that mountain and you, you got started with the, with the tribe and stuff like that. How, how long did you work with this gear? Yeah? I did 17 winters on the mountain. Oh, wow. And then ultimately I, actually I did 21 years on the mountain. I did 17 years doing ski school selling mm-hmm. ski school tickets and those things and then after that i made the move and i ran food and beverage up there and then would come here in the summer did he get to ski that summer you started <laughs> he did <laughs> okay he actually went on to be a ski and snowboard instructor throughout oh, high school wow. <laughs> what's your what's your brother's name andrew pierce andrew pierce oh, okay mm-hmm. i think 
I should know. Yeah. Somebody so. needs to get a hold of you and just make a movie <laughs> about all your yeah. your life. You know. I like I told you. I don't know why you think it's that interesting. It's kind of crazy. It's roller coaster ish, but. Well, you think about it, and when I left for the military, and I told people kind of like my story, and you know how I grew up, and you know, to, to a lot of people, they felt like, oh, that's crazy. Like, why would you do that? And um, I have some friends that kind of grew up with the the typical American um, dream life. You know, mom and dad, and you play baseball, and and when when I would sit in those tents on deployment, and people talk about their childhoods. You'd hear these guys talking about, yeah, when I played baseball, this, and and whenever my dad watched me play, and I threw, and we went to state, and all this stuff. Like, they have all these stories of, of sports, and, and you think about, you know, when these guys are telling these stories, they have to have had some kind of structure in their life growing up. Um, their, their parents were there. They talk about playing college ball, and they talk about all this stuff. And for me, I think, you know, even if I had the skill to play any type of college ball, that would kind of have been a luxury because... I didn't really have anybody in my life to kind of direct me that way. I didn't have anybody to coach me into college. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just like, did you fill out your paperwork? Did you get your, your scholarship taken care of? All right, see you later, you know. Um, but to have that type of life where parents are looking out for you the whole time, it seems to be the norm in a lot of situations. And for us, it's not. And when you start thinking about like that relative um, lifestyle, when it, you know, a lot of situations are relative. Sure, you can tell your kid, like, hey, if you don't eat your food, you know, there's people starving in Africa. Well, it's not really relative to the situation. And the kid's going to come up with that that remark, like, oh, well, send my food to Africa. You know, we make jokes about it now. It's not relative anymore. Right. Because we all know the situations that we're in. And I think a lot of the stuff that we deal with is going to be situational. And that's how we compare things as people. And so when I when I sat in those deploy- on those deployments and listened to those guys talk about their childhood, I realized, like, not we don't all have these weird random lives where we grow up poor. And I kind of started to think like, you know, a lot of people had good lives. And now my new relative has been changed. And now I look back home and I see um, stories or I hear about stories like yours. And I realize, you know, it's not normal. We, you know, this, this day and age, that stuff isn't, isn't normal. You know, like, I don't know if you can ever imagine your kids going through what you went through. It's no, that's exactly. Absolutely not. You see what I'm saying here? It's, it's, it's insane. Like, could you imagine your own kids having glass in their eyes because, you know, their father, you know, was under the influence behind the wheel and you had to learn how to drive on the fly. Like, those. that's what I mean by, like, relative um, situations. And, and a lot of people that I see going through half the things you've gone through can't deal with it. They just can't. And I'm fascinated with you because the... Um, maybe I'm not so fascinated with your story, but it's compounded with being fascinated with your story and who you are now. Mm-hmm. Because how many people can turn out the way you turned out? You turned out and gone through what you've gone through. You know, I know a lot of people who've been through bad situations, and it kind of shows, and you feel bad for them, and you're like, "Oh man, that's a sad story. I wish you'd never gone through it." But um, it's even more rare to find a person like you've gone through that. And then you're you're who you are now. Like I was saying, like the times you've walked behind my bar, I didn't you know, like, get out of here. You're stealing my show. You're too you're too bright. You're too loud. Your personality's too big, and you've got a way about you. You've got a way with words where you can talk to any stranger. He comes up to you. I, I've seen you. You're so smooth. Um, even with aggressive people that come, they're intimidating men that sit to the bar and would say something in like an aggressive way they want a certain beer or try something they're not happy with a price you've got like this um 
this smooth comeback all the times like loaded like ready like it's like sometimes i'm like is that rehearsed like she's <laughs> how does she know how to respond so fast you just know you know your words you know your people you know your situations and it's fascinating to me and i'm like you know this woman she really owns where she's at at all times like she has this aura about her. everybody's attracted to you like if when you when you walk into a room like I see all the employees, they want time with Amber. Because like, you've got like this cool, you've got like this cool move, you know, you walk into a room and you've got this like weird like half smile, like, hey, what's up, kid? Like, you know, what's up? You know, like you're like a big sister all the time. And you're like, I feel like, and I'm, I'm trying to like get it out. It's hard to describe, but you've got this spark. And I'm like, how did, how did that survive all that stuff? You know, there's, there's something there. And I'm, that's what I'm fascinated with. Because more than not, most people would have gone through what you went through and not been okay. Right. You. How got, did you deal deal with all that? How, how like all your child? All, did you go to therapy? Did no. you something? What? How did you deal with it? Well, I've gone to therapy here and there. You know, working uh-huh. on some things. But yeah. Um, one night in the tent, uh, it was just my brother and I. It was those crazy looking, pointy green Coleman tents with the frame on the outside. Yeah. And we. When my dad wasn't there, my mom was at work, we would um, padlock it from the inside. Uh-huh. My brother was crying, and we pinky promised each other that we wouldn't be like this, and that when or if we had children, they would never know what it was like. And you're at that age, you were what? How old? I think I was probably 10 or 11. Wow. Where did that come from? Like, cause, because a, a lot of people that were, would be raising that would end up being like their parents, it seems like. But what made right. you realize this is wrong and I'm going to do better? I just, just, there's so many different scenarios we were put in. Um, let me tell you another quick story. Uh, my dad had taken us to downtown Oakland. Uh, I was probably nine. My brother was three. Um, and we went to a house so he could score drugs. Mm-hmm. And it was dirty. It was gross. We sat on the couch. And he told us to wait there for him. Well, all day went by. And all night went by. My brother was crying and he was hungry. Well, all day I had watched the buses come across the street. And I kind of watched and counted. And I noticed that there was a bigger lady. I, I guess she was the gatekeeper if you will I don't know but uh-huh. she had like a little pouch on the table and I knew there was change in there so that morning the first bus had come I think it was about 6.30 and um, my, still no sign of my dad so you stayed there until 6.30 in the morning mm-hmm. and so I waited for that lady to leave and I took the change some change out of the jar and we ran across the street and got on the bus and the bus driver was kind of dumbfounded like what are these two young kids but uh-huh. I mean we're in downtown Oakland so I mean, two minority children mm-hmm. and uh, so he asked me where I was going and a long time ago my grandma used to make me memorize her phone number and her address uh-huh. and I told him we're going to 18204 Redwood Road in Castro Valley well we're far away so back then when you rode the bus before you got off they gave you like a transfer ticket Mm-hmm. So you don't have to pay for the next bus. You just gave him the transfer. So that bus driver took us to the next bus, told the bus driver. He took that next bus driver took us off. So I took a bus all the way from Oakland, California to Castro Valley. Did you have enough change? 
I never had to use it oh. except for the first bus because the bus driver knew something was up. Yeah. So we just had transfers all the way, and the one bus driver would talk to the next bus driver, and the next bus driver would take us. <laughs> oh to my gosh! Put us on the next bus. Wow! How many hours was it? Probably it probably took a couple hours just transferring buses and. Oh, okay. So back back to that age again. You were nine. Nine. Your brother was three. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! So uh, we ended up in my grandma's house. Um, and it probably took about four or five days for my dad to come. Wow. And, you know, I've got, I've got a, a two-year-old daughter, and I couldn't imagine in a million years she's traveling around with her older brother across the city on buses. Right. I'm telling you, you've, <laughs> you've gone through some insane things, and, you know, I just can't believe it's true. <laughs> it's definitely, it was a wild ride, but like I said, you can't, you can't use what happened to you in your childhood to make excuses for bad choices as an adult. Like, you mm-hmm. make the choice to do different. Right. And Lord knows I haven't made good choices sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, but you keep going. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, thank God that you met your husband and his family and you yeah. found some stability because... I did. And, you know, you deserve it, you know, out of... Anyone I've ever met, I feel like you, you, you deserve it big time. You, you looked after a baby when you were like seven to... He was my baby. <laughs> you raised a child your entire life. Right. You know, and, and I just, I hope that good fortune finds you in any possible moment, having gone through what you, what you went through. And um, like I was saying before, you know, like I'm more fascinated in who you are considering what you've been through. It's... it's it's just insane to me because I, all the time I, I look at who people are and I try to think about what they've been through to make them that way. And you hear their story, you talk to somebody and they tell you like, um, I'm this way because if my mom would have done this for me, I could have that too. Or if my dad could have raised me this, I could have had that too. Must be nice, must be nice. And I hear it so much and I feel like, man, there's you know, there's people out there who have lived harder lives than you who have made more of themselves with less right and it's possible but people have these attitudes that it can't be done because of some situation and um i live my life based on you know hard work and dedication and i feel like that's what's gonna you know and a good attitude and i feel like that's what's gonna get you what you want at the end of the day as long as you're you're good to people and you have a strong sense of morals which you do i feel like your your um your moral compass is strong Considering, you know, you told your story, but you told it in, in a respectful way to your parents still, considering what they put you through. Yeah. And, and some, somebody's always watching. Okay. And a guy like me, I was watching since, <laughs> well, when I first met you, I was like, man, this, this lady is, she's, she's special in a way because I can tell everybody likes her. I can tell everyone wants to be around her and talk to her. But there's something about your, your personality I was fascinated about. And you run quite a few departments around here. You know, you're in charge. You have a lot of responsibility for this resort. And I would say you're successful, you know. And that doesn't just come from luck. It comes from a lot of years of hard work, grinding it out, never giving up. And how many times have you gone home and you're just like, screw it. You know, I need a break. Or was it like, you know, I'm ready for tomorrow. Like, I don't know your your attitude, but I feel like you've had a lot of long days. <laughs> you came in the next day ready for work again. You still got to play the the motherly role as well, right? I do. So not only do you have big responsibilities at this resort, you had to raise children with your with your husband. Yes. And how many children do you have now? I have three children. 
and I have one grandchild. And a grandchild, she's <laughs> wow. a grandbaby. And I've seen the pictures of the baby. Yeah. I'm always looking at the, the baby pictures. Um, do do your children know what, what you've all gone through, or have you kept that kind of hidden for, for a while? No, no. no. I, they know. Um, mm-hmm. Every once in a while, a story will come up, and they're like... So they have been raised and still are in the same house. We have never moved. They have the same phone number. So they know that stability. Mm. You know, unlike unlike m- myself, I made sure that they had that. Yeah. Is, is that the reason why you drive so far to work every day? I do. That's in the in, what is it, an hour? It's about 45 minutes to an hour. About 45 minutes. So you drive that, that long distance, you know, just to keep stability in your child's life, children's lives. Yes. And, and again, it speaks more to who you are. You just keep coming up with stuff and I, I haven't found any any flaws in you yet but <laughs> i'm full i'm, I'm gonna full be of flaws. i'm gonna be looking um so you also brought up another story which is interesting to me um can you talk about the story about cleaning out the barn okay so it was approximately the week before halloween in 1999 um we have a huge barn in the back so that that puts you in your late 20s uh no, uh yes. Sorry, can't do the math off the I'm top trying of my to head. Keep a timeline. Twenty three of, of your life. I was twenty three. You're twenty three. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, we're cleaning the barn. No big deal. I'm kind of a furniture hoarder. Mm-hmm. I like antiques. So there was an antique dresser in the barn. Um, no big deal. I opened the drawer because we we're going to take it inside, and there was a nest full of mice. Well, there was no mice in it, but it was obviously a mice, full of mice. Um, I just picked it up and threw it away. Not a second thought. Um, No big deal. We cleaned the barn, went about our business. Everything was great. Um, The morning of October 29th, um, I was working part-time at Farley's, serving. And I just didn't feel right. I was kind of tired, kind of sluggish. Um, right after lunch was over, I told my boss, I have to go home. I just don't feel good. Um, of course, my boss was kind of angry. He's like, who's going to cover? I said, I'm sorry. So I went home, got the boys, uh, who were two and three, from daycare. Just kind of laid on the couch. Started to get cold. Um, kids were playing. Mike finally came home from work. He tended to them. Um, I guess about one or two in the morning, I woke up and I was shivering cold. Uh, my back hurt so bad it couldn't hardly move. Um, he, Mike got me a heating blanket, and I was still cold. So he said, let's go to the hospital. I said, no, I just have the flu. It's going to be okay. So I guess it was about seven thirty, eight o'clock that morning. We took my temperature, and it was 105.3. Uh, I couldn't move. My back hurt so bad. So my mom actually came and took me to the hospital. Uh, Mike stayed with the boys. They put me in the isolation. Uh, They tested me for uh, spinal meningitis because of the back pain. They tested me for Lyme disease. You name it, they tested me for it. And there was a doctor uh, from New York. He came into the room and he... 
you know, sleeve tattoos. He had this New York Bronx accent. I don't know how he landed in Redoso, but he said, she has symptoms of hantavirus, but she's not coughing. So we're going to admit her, start the nine-hour test, and if she starts coughing, we will fly her to UNM. About one o'clock that morning, the cough came like no other. Uh, the next thing I know, I was on an airplane. Uh, then I woke up in the emergency room in Albuquerque to spinal taps. And then I woke up in the ICU, and there was people from the CDC all the way around the bed, and they told my husband that she tested positive for hantavirus. So Mike asked, what are our options? And they said, well, there's no cure. We can put you in this case study. Um, it just started. It's five years long. 50% get placebo, 50% get the medicine, and then we'll put her on an ECMO machine. Basically like a big dialysis machine. So that was October 30th. How did, how did that news hit you then? Was it devastating or were you... Um, no, at that point, I was having a really hard time breathing. I was mm -hmm. gasping, um, and everything started to go really quick. Um, they were putting main lines in my neck to my heart. Mm -hmm. They were kind of explaining to Mike, and then the CDC team wanted to know where we had been, what we had done, you know, all those kind of things. And um, I just, at this point, I was exhausted, and I was kind of starting to breathe like a fish out of water. And the next thing I know, they were pushing us down the hallway, and they told Mike, say goodbye to her. And I just remember taking a deep breath, and I couldn't breathe, and the machine just beeped. And that's the last thing I remember until I woke up sitting in the corner of a hospital room. Uh, there was a Morgan Freeman movie on the TV, and I just was really weak and tired, and I tried to lift up my arm, and I couldn't. And the doctor came in, and... I said, I have to go home. And it was a really raspy whisper. And he said, why do you have to go home? I said, because I have to take my kids trick-or-treating. Thinking it was Halloween uh -huh. because I went in the day before. Oh. And he said, Amber, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, jeez. You just woke up Thanksgiving? Yeah. Well, I guess... I'm not really sure. So I had a... Well, you came conscious, I guess, Thanksgiving. Yes, yes. I guess I had been awake for four days prior to that. That's mm -hmm. why I was sitting in the chair. Oh, okay. But I don't... I was so clouded because they chemically induce you into a coma. Oh. Because they have to put catheters in the femoral arteries of your legs. Mm -hmm. And so they lay you completely still and flat. So I was in a coma. Wow. So when, when, they, when they told your husband to say goodbye, did you just... You died right there? If that's when uh, that was the the machine beeping. Mm -hmm. My heart stopped, and uh, they did the paddle of the thing over my face. And you didn't remember anything at all. No, you didn't have near death experience or something. Maybe you're you've never told anybody. I have some crazy like dreams that I had. Like yeah. my dad was there the whole time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. And just um, like. They make my family makes fun of me a lot because I love food. Food is my thing, uh -huh. and like I guess when I was waking up, I asked for the sopapilla on the table, 
and it was a glove. And <laughs> like I remember being very angry at my husband because I told him there was a baby outside of the window, very cold. Uh-huh. And he said, "There's no one out there. We're on the seventh floor." And those kind of things. But do you think there anything was was dreams, or do you just call them dreams now so people don't think you're crazy? <laughs> right. <laughs> like I said, when my dad was there, uh-huh. um, just it was just odd. Like. I can remember there was pictures of my kids on the wall, and they had little pieces of green tape. Uh-huh. And I watched them take a person out of that hole in the wall with the green tape. So I don't know if it was drug part, dream part. I'm not sure. Oh. Mm-hmm. So no, like, out-of-body experience. I did wake up when they were putting the catheters in my legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no pain. Um, I just felt jerking, and they said she's awake. And I just, you know, there was blood squirts on the ceiling and from that, but... It didn't hurt, and I was ready to go trick-or-treating when I woke up. <laughs> I couldn't even walk because my muscles had atrophied so bad, and so that was a process. Wow. So, oh, my God. So when you wake up, and it's Thanksgiving, um, I imagine your family came to visit you and brought you, you know, some food. <laughs> my, my husband's family was there. Oh, yeah, your husband's yeah, family. the whole time. Um, and, you know, so did... I imagine, you know, they let you have time with your family, but did they tell you what happened to you or how you were able to wake up or did you get the story? Well, so uh, it was pretty ugly. I had a whole lot of swelling, so my eyes wouldn't close, Mm -hmm. Um, those kind of things. And I I couldn't even hold a cup. Like I couldn't roll myself over in bed because I had atrophied so bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So they didn't want my children to see that. Okay. Um, So basically it was like... um, so my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law took care of the boys. They would make food and bring it to the hospital for the family and those kind of things. And my husband and my father-in-law were the ones who never left. Mm-hmm. They stayed there. There was an RV in the parking lot, but they never left. Um, and at one point, they had told Mike that I wasn't going to wake up, that I should have already woke up because they stopped the drugs and that he needed to be prepared to say goodbye. And it got to the point where they were going to take me off the ventilator and my father-in-law was actually making funeral arrangements. And um, then I just woke up. Mike says it's because I'm pretty stubborn. I just said that on my time. <laughs> so how, how did he take all of this? How did he, I can't imagine what he went through, you know, watching you. So he was... He's, He's a great guy, super strong. He's my tree. He's the one I can hide behind and say, get the, you know. Yeah. Um, He, we talked about it, but it was never, like, I didn't know how bad it affected him until a year later. um, So I'm kind of jumping all over. So I I formed antibodies against the hantavirus. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we were doing case studies like crazy. They wanted to know, like, try to isolate those antibodies. And um, so it was exactly a year after I had got sick, and, and we met at this, um, you know, conference, and there was a whole bunch of nurses there. I had never seen the machine I was on or the pictures I was on, you know, nothing. And there was a huge slideshow on the wall, and they showed pictures of me, and they showed the tubes in my legs that were inches bit you know it was just crazy and when it came question and answer time I might cry now um they asked me what the hardest part was and I said I don't know I had the easy part 
I was asleep. Mm-hmm. So I said, you have to ask Mike. And Mike says, having to get my kids dressed for a funeral was going to be the hardest part for me. <laughs> so that's when it got me. And Mike used to, because the boys couldn't go in there. Uh, when I say boys, my sons, Joseph and Jacob, um, Mike would, would record them telling me goodnight. Mm-hmm. And they loved me, and he would play it to me when I was in the coma. And the nurses described, and there wasn't a dry in, in the house, how every time they would play it, my heart rate would go way up. Mm-hmm. And so they just thought that was the coolest thing, that you know, the kids couldn't see me, but Mike would make sure that you know, I could hear them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He had no idea what he was getting into <laughs> when he met you. <laughs> right? <laughs> but wow. he has to be, oh man, I can't imagine. I can't imagine the stuff that he had to mentally, you know, because he had to hold it down. He had to watch you go through it. He had to, you know, like you were saying, he was thinking the hardest part was going to be having to get the kids ready for a funeral. Like, he had to be the rock of, of the family and keep the kids. What was he going to tell the kids? You know, like, I just, all of this is just. Let's not forget my brother still lived with us. and oh. He was a senior in high school. Oh, my. And so he's <laughs> trying to deal with school and graduation, and he's worried about you. But, you know, and what? how did you survive? So we discovered years later during the case study, I got the placebo. I survived it on my own. On your own? Yeah. In the story, I thought you were saying they tried something on you, and you were the first person to try, like, a new... No. So I got the placebo. I was the first one to survive that year out of 14 people. Wow. Mm-hmm. What? And the odds back then had to have been pretty low, right? Because they didn't understand... Yeah, no, they were super low. Um, I think there were 16 people total that year, and only two of us survived. Wow. Oh my gosh. Like yeah. this is, it gets even more and more insane. You like won the lottery. I did. I was, the doctor said I was more likely to get hit by a bus, struck by lightning and win the lottery in the same day than to get and survive on tobacco. Oh my gosh. I can't, so I try to always put my finger on how to get like where you are as a person, but there's no way. There's no way I can mimic that. You know, I can't recreate that life and be like, okay, this is who I'm going to be now. Like, I have to, I'm Amber now. No. You can't. What What do you believe, like, do you believe uh, God had a big plan for you? Or what's your beliefs? Well, I'm not super religious, uh-huh. but I think he watched out for me a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but my support system with the entire Luna family was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was my brother and I through thick and thin. And then, you know, he blessed us with an amazing family who helped us. And my husband is patient and he's strong and he's protective and he he makes sure that we do good. And I follow his example mm-hmm. because he, he's by far better than me because I have tons of flaws. I'm not always patient. Um, I'm not always kind, especially to him. You know, he's my biggest supporter, but sometimes I give him a hard time a lot. That's what women do, right? <laughs> so you can't let him listen to this because then he might get a big hit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do our best. You know, we'll put on the description. Don't let Mike hear this. Right. <laughs> so you survive, and I guess I'm just still trying to wrap my head around like how 
how you've gone through so much it's such a unique story and it's so powerful and it's so like i said this random and unique and you in in my when i hear things like this like i have to put my head around a reason but i can't you know there's all i can say is god you know uh. i have to find some way to make logic out of it and i can't right there's just there's no there's no answers you're you're here still out, out of am. all of that it's, I am. and you and you still have good attitude and you still come to work every day and you're still positive and i just wish that you could take whatever's inside of you and make it a pill and give it to people you know it's please, like, please don't glorify me that much i'm telling you i have my vices <laughs> i know and, and that's what and and i think that's what makes you even better to me you're like you you make it even better because you're so humble about it mm. you know and, and that's what i want to be around is because to me hum, humble people speak millions you know it's you just you speak in waves with what you do not with what you say you know and and those are the people i admire the most um you, with all the stuff that you've gone through now and do you do you have any advice for people that feel like the world is against them no well, like i said things happen for you not to you and, and well, there's and I like I like that statement, and I and I think it says a lot. And you can probably put it to most things, but um, do you have? Is it mostly like your support system at home? You just go home and you and you talk to someone about it, um, or is this something that you you feel like you have to like bring out of yourself? Is this something that you work up inside of you? You definitely have to. To bring it out of yourself, you have to make the conscious decision to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. I, we could have easily allowed the abuse to continue. We could have followed the same path and used it as an excuse. Um, and when I say we, my brother and I, and we didn't mm-hmm. um, because we couldn't. It just we knew it wasn't right. No matter if we were three or nine or twenty, it wasn't right. Yeah. And we had to make the conscious choice to change. To mm-hmm. stop it, because if we allowed it to continue, it, it would only carry on. When did you finally learn that, or who did you learn that from? You, you said your, your your husband's family, but was there something else that happened that you? That uh, so you my brother, uh, after I got sick and I uh. ended up out of the hospital, um, my brother ultimately graduated high school, um, and then I told him, I said, just like the lift ticket, um, I can't afford it, but I'll find a way if you want to go to school. Um, and he knew that he had to also make that change. I made that change for us, but he had to do it, and he had to go on. Um, so he showed up one day at, at home with papers to the Navy with his recruiter. Oh, wow. Uh, so that was his choice to change. Wow. Uh-huh. That's incredible. <laughs> the, I, I like what you, what you said about, you know, you got to make the conscious change because I agree with that. And it almost seems like it's impossible for some people to be like, okay, this is the day. But then there's the actual work of every day. You got to make that happen. That long-term discipline to making that conscious conscious change, I think, is is the hardest part for most people. Because everybody can get motivated and be like, okay, you know what? I'm tired of my crap. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break that cycle and I'm going to be different now. But every day after that is where the real battle begins. It's like going to the gym. You know, people ask me all the time, like, how do you get so fit? How do you get in shape? I want big arms, all this stuff. And I tell, you know, we all have that moment where we're like, I'm tired of my my, my body. I'm going to start working out. But then every day after that is where the real fight happens. You know, on the, on the daily, 
um, where do you find your motivation to keep going? Do you, do you think back on, is there like a, something that you think back on that keeps you going every day where you're like, you know what I got to, when, is there like a thought that pushes you when you're feeling weak? Not necessarily a thought. I just, you know, you wake up in the morning and the house is quiet and you see your kids sleeping and you don't ever want them to feel that empty loneliness. Reflection. So you just get up and you keep going forward. You can't go backwards. That's what keeps you going every day, your kids? My kids, my husband, uh, my family. That's awesome. And you you have that reason, you know, I I guess, you know, and... um, like I was just, you, you just brought something out of me and I think I, I kind of relate a little bit. And when I look at results of something or when I look at something I want to keep forever, that reflection on whatever that is, I think is, it helps me every day. And so I set like these little end goals and stuff for, I have a vision that I see with my family. And that one day I want to have a big table, a big family, and everybody wants to be at my house for Thanksgiving or something, you know. And so when I look at my kids, I do a little bit of like reflection. Like I find something to reflect on, and I think that's what keeps me going. But um, and and this is just conversation. Um, I don't think that any of us are going to have the answers when we walk out of this room, you know. But it's definitely put a lot of perspective into me and how I feel about myself, and definitely inspiring. You know, I'll always know that somebody out there's somebody right here in our own reservation and in this hotel or in um, in work you know has gone through it and it's you you know you've gone through uh way tougher circumstances than i did growing up and you're still at work every day you're still grinding it out with everyone else you're still working hard you still go home and you still got to play mommy and and now it's grammy and you've got responsibilities every day and that you don't give up on and i like that about you you know don't ever discard someone else's struggle even if my story is way more intense than another person's story it's their reality and the way they choose and if you're positive and supportive to these people and you talk to them and they can relate at the same level like Mm -hmm. wow she struggled too Mm -hmm. she's real she's a person she knows right and you can offer them the support and you can show them look it can be done and let them know that you're there to help them Mm -hmm. yeah not judge them right you you've been through through a lot a uh, lot of stories. Can you maybe talk about like some of the best memories you've had living in this area, or some of the good some of the good things, or oh. what your favorite times? I have a lot. <laughs> uh, I mean, my everyday life is amazing. Yeah. So not only do I get to get up and we live in a great house that my husband and I remodeled ourselves. Um, Tomorrow is my 22nd wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. And w- thank you. And we've been together 29 years. Nice. Um, you know, I get to drive to work here every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I get to not, I, I get to work with the people that I care about, and we do a great job together every day. Um, we have so many memories. You know, my family hunts. We um, shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, those are... I don't have just one. I have so many. Like, my life is great. It really, really is. I have a few bad stories that are blowing people's minds. <laughs> but I have so many more good stories. I have three amazing children. I have an amazing grandson. Uh, my mom is doing wonderful, making great choices. She lives with us. Um, so I have four generations of people in my house right now. Uh-huh. So, I mean, we get to sit down and have dinner together every day. 
Um, your your perspective is, I think, amazing. <laughs> it's just how you look at it, how you look at the angles. You're just able to just see the bright side. And I feel like, you know, that might be one of your strongest qualities. And it's it's definitely something that I need to work on because, you know, I'm guilty. I go home and I'm like, man, this sucks. Oh. Why does it have to be this way? You know, and I think I need to do a better job of just building that perspective and appreciating what I have in front of me a little bit more, you know, because I have a temper. I have a control issue. I want to control everything around me. And when it's not done that way, when it's, no one's doing it the way I think it should be done, I get very upset. And, you know, I, I think talking to someone with you, talking with someone like you is, is definitely going to help me open up that, you know. So the control thing with me, I still have it a little bit. <laughs> but you have to remember that if you give someone direction and allow them to do it their way, you still reach the common goal. So there's more than one mm. way to skin a cat. Right. So yep. even though it's not your way, it's not the wrong way. The job gets done. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'll work on this. <laughs> I got to take a breath and step away. Maybe just look away and come back when it's done. We'll let you be the manager for the night. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have the whole... Um, kitchen standing at parade rest and doing push-ups when they drop the food that's great no i wouldn't do that but um yeah so i just i really wanted to take that time to appreciate your perspective on life and i think it's very important that we we make note of that and you were saying in in the office when i first asked you you were like "Ah, i don't know it's what is what is the podcast and you seemed hesitant to do it but i had to give you that little sales pitch i'm like you can change someone's life with your story you can come on just try it it'll be fine and you're like all right i'll give it a shot you know so you you come on but um i just feel like oh you said something you were like you know i've never been recognized before and I was like, what? We're going to be the first people to do it. And and I'm just so proud to have you on this podcast and to be, you know, I think your story is worth sharing. I You're think making me blush. You <laughs> need to be. This is your time. You know, this is your episode. You need to you need to feel special, you know, and I'll, me and Chris want to recognize you and all the good things you've done with yourself and how you inspire everybody around you. I haven't met a single person um, that's like, oh, I hate her. You know, and like I said, you know, all your employees, like, they like to be around you and talk to you. And it means a lot. I don't know if you know how much it means for you, for people when you come around and you check on your workers. It does. You know, people are like, oh, Ambrose is in here today. And, you know, you leave a big impression on people. So I hope you know that um, a lot of people look up to you and that you've built, you've built like a, like a legacy. You know, your, your, your kids are going to want to be like you and they're going to think that you're this strong person. And, and that's that's something that is important for every family is to like have one person around at times that can at least show you the way and be like, Hey, it's okay. You know, like you said, it can all get done one way. Let's, you know, let's do it together. And I think you're the perfect person for that. You and your husband, you guys built, you built something that's definitely worth being proud of, you know, for sure. That family, that house that you have in Carrizozo, it's worth more. No, Capitan. In Capitan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mix them up. They're the same place. Let's no, be, they let, are not. Let's be Don't honest. Bite your tongue. Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, so you guys built this, and your house is worth no amount of money. Right. Because of what it means, you know. And I, I just congratulate you for that. Thank that's you. That's an ama- amazing thing that you've built for yourself, but. Um, you need to be recognized you know, for sure. And um, I'm glad me and Chris were able to, 
bring you on this show. Um, you have anything, Chris? Do you have any more stories that you can share? Let's hear it. Like, uh, What's a good good like story? Something that, that if a thousand years from now somebody comes and looks at this podcast, what would you want them to know about you? Put me on the spot. <laughs> uh, what would I want them to know about me? Um, that's a hard one. Uh, if you can help, if you could help somebody, if if they're going through something, maybe absolutely. Yeah. Never give up. You always keep looking forward. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow's another brighter day. And one more chance to make a difference. That's awesome. That's well, awesome. and I really, I think we should call this episode uh, "Life." Life doesn't happen to you; happens for you. I think I, so I, too. I love that quote. That's awesome. uh, where that's does that come from? Again, I know I asked you earlier, but you read it, right? <laughs> I read it. I think one time I read a book. Uh, yeah. That's when I felt like I had to save the world and try to help my mom. <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, Codependent no more. Oh okay, mm-hmm. that's what that's what the book's called. Uh-huh. Codependent no more. Do you know the author? Uh, Melanie Beattie is her name. I have to check it out. That book changed my life. Oh okay. So you have to watch it or read it. From the way I kind of see you, you have a few points or a few events in your life that kind of shaped how the outcome and you know were big turning points for you. You know, one of them is moving to California. Mm-hmm. Another one would be moving to Capitan. And then another one would be getting that job at the ski area. Um, are there any others that you can say is a huge turning point in your life? Of course. Uh, I mean, they trusted me enough to be in charge of Broken Arrow. Uh, they trust me every day enough to be a leader to the team that looks up to me. Right. And for those listening that don't know what she's talking about, the Broken Arrow is the probably the newest addition that we have to the resort casino here in Mescalero as far as food and beverage as far as food and beverage and Amber is the manager of the Broken Arrow Tap House which is an, a lot of people's favorite place to uh, eat yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. it's the best place good in this area and so you feel like that's definitely something that's kind of um, changed the game for you of course mm-hmm. I mean like it's a huge feat for somebody to say here take this Mm -hmm. make it work yeah and then trusting you with those responsibilities and you know you don't want to let anybody down and you're responsible to make sure it's successful and that each person that works there is successful right and uh, that's a huge feat definitely and i've watched you kind of like started like a couple years after it opened a few years i don't know how long i tried to join your your team but um, i noticed right away you take a lot of care over your employees you care about you know their situations and what they have going on and i'm wondering like when i first met you i was like man this woman just cares about everybody you know is it that's insane how much you were like if someone comes hey i got a baby appointment tomorrow and you just be like okay well who can we call in to to fill that spot have you talked to anybody yet will anybody cover for you what you got and they'll be like yeah so and so said they'd work it and i'd work and you're like all right well if you already have it worked out we'll fix the schedule it's never a big deal to you and i like that because you when you have that calm attitude everyone around you is calm and you run your ship just as effectively i feel like as maybe more effectively as some of the other um personalities that are more strict and you know fist to the table type right and it's it seems effective i feel like it's effective it's worked for me and Mm -hmm. and when your employees or team is comfortable coming to you with not only work issues but personal issues that you can assist with 
it just works. Mm-hmm. Uh, the turnover rate is pretty minimal in Broken Arrow. We're pretty oh, yeah. blessed. Yeah. So that's, I, and I'm thankful every day that these people trust me enough and that I can help them. And whether it's personal help, whether it's professional help, um, I'm blessed for that. The, um, it seems like it brings out a lot more honesty. Of course. Because whenever I was working with um, some of the other bartenders, they were telling me that they were going to tell you, like, the truth. And I was like, man, oh, she's not going to... Okay, you're just going to tell her? <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, with with no problem, they'll come to you and be like, hey, I got some issues going on at home. And, you know, if you're like, well, let's see if we can work it out. If not, you're just going to have to work okay. And most people understand, you know. And sometimes the employee would still have to work. But it was nice to see that they could come to you being so honest, you know. And they kind of knew they kind of trusted you like if um you had to work they had to work like there was no way around they wouldn't argue with you about it right and that 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 was it's a unique dynamic that that goes on in the broken arrow top house and um definitely be lucky to work there i feel i felt real lucky to work there everybody there's just does the wants to do the job you know so kudos to you for how you run your ship thank you i think that you do very excellent job um how does your is your household that smooth? No. <laughs> my household is crazy. Uh, we have nine total people that live in my house. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I come from a house that used to have nine people, too, so I kind of know how it is. It's crazy. <laughs> but now I'm all by myself. <laughs> One extreme to the next. Yeah. So for a little while, it was just my husband and I and my daughter, who's 18. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, we got a whole menagerie. My son came back with his family. My mom is there. So, yeah, dinner's crazy. Mm. Uh, it's a well-orchestrated chaos. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It, it. It's great, though. I get to see my grandson every morning. Um, you know, my kids are there. So, it's great. Awesome. Anything that you want to reflect on real quick? I don't. I just... Any um, people you want to give shout-outs to? Your support system? Your family? Uh well, my mother-in-law was an amazing inspiration to my life. Mm-hmm. Um, What's her name? Mary Luna. Oh. Uh, she passed several years ago. Um, she passed several years ago, but she she taught me so much. Um, you know, she took me in. We would spend weekends together without my husband. She mm-hmm. was amazing. Uh, my father-in-law, Jimmy Luna, he... Uh, the first time I met him, he asked me, do you make tortillas? I said, no, sir. He said, you do today. <laughs> uh, and to this day, every time I see him, we make tortillas. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's awesome. I like yeah. that. And then, of course, uh, you know, my husband, he's he's my tree. He's my rock. He's my strength. He cheers me on. He loves me when I'm not lovable. <laughs> <laughs> so, And he always says we, we've been together so long because he's a very patient man. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a big shout out to your your family and your yeah. husband I think I've seen your kids and um, well maybe just one of them I think I met your son super respectable he's um very well mannered he understands just the situation around him so you've definitely if that's how your kids all you know your other kids are you did a great job thank you thank you <laughs> I didn't do it by myself Mike was there yeah, every and, step of the way and patient Mike yes yeah, patient Mike <laughs> uh, you know that's that's awesome um, any more? Do you have anything you want to um, touch on, Chris? I'm sure there's a lot of more stories. We might have to make another podcast. Or <laughs> I can I can tell you something. Well, but 
they're dark stories. Yeah. So mm-hmm. always make it positive. I mean, everybody yeah. has a dark story or ten mm-hmm. or you know a dark childhood. Just mm-hmm. yeah. I made I made my choices better than that, so that yeah. my kids didn't have dark stories. Yeah, that's good. So, we, and my brother's kids do not have dark stories. So he went on to graduate. Well, he did the Navy, and then he went on to graduate law school. Oh, that's right. I wanted to ask about your brother. Mm-hmm. So how many years did he do for the na- do with the Navy? He did four years in the Navy, mm-hmm. um, and then he went to a community college in California when he got out in San Diego. Okay. Then he got accepted to UC Berkeley on an academic scholarship. For wow. a non-traditional student, uh, he graduated political science from Berkeley and then went on to UNM Law School. Jeez, he's well accomplished. <laughs> he is. Where, um, where is he now? He's in Washington State. Uh, he works at the university. He's actually director of Veterans Affairs. Really? For the students. Man, this guy's amazing too. You guys <laughs> yeah. just, you guys just polished up real nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pinky promise. Yeah, you guys held to it. Um, how does he? feel you know about you guys history is he um is he bitter about it or is he just is he just glad you guys turned out okay is he um no he's uh i don't think either of us are bitter about it i Mm -hmm. mean we question sometimes why but i mean it made us who we were and we never felt alone because we had each other right you know it was him and i Mm -hmm. through thick and thin and that that's such a crazy thing to think about whenever I think about you guys in the tent and stuff because you know when I was younger I have a brother who's a lot younger than me like that and um it was very emotional for me when things would happen to him when he would get hurt or if someone was mean to him it's it does something to you at at that young of an age to where you kind of don't recover from it it becomes who you are you know that type of protective person and I think a lot of who I am now is kind of a result of always being nervous that something was going to happen to my younger brother. And I don't know if that's healthy for anyone, but it gave me like, um, like a sense of compassion for people, right. you know, cause that's, I'm always, I was always looking over my shoulder. I'm always looking for a kid around me. Is he okay? And of course he got hurt, you know, he got mm-hmm. hurt around me. He fell and got hit with things. And, um, I always felt guilty for the times he got hurt. But if someone is mean to him, if we went through hard times together, it was like, it put this weird, um, blanket of emotions over me at, I don't know if it, if I can even say it was like too young of an age. Cause you know, who's the judge of that, but, um, at a really young age. And I kind of feel like that's what happened to you. You know, you, you developed like this security blanket with him mm-hmm. and maybe it's kind of how you turned out so caring right now. You know, you've always cared for somebody that way and it's just ingrained in you from such you, you, how can you not say that's contributed to who you are? You know, because of that's that's a lot of stuff to go through with somebody that, that that young of an age. You know, you just you raised a child, and you know it's scary to think about when you have kids and like we were saying earlier, you put them in that situation and stuff. And then um, I think the story, your story, to me is like I keep saying, it's real inspiring and stuff. But I just can't imagine how how I would do sitting in in your shoes sometime. Like if I was having to deal with being diagnosed with, you know, hantavirus <laughs> and then having to be sick. And I'm afraid of needles as it is. I'll pass out just getting my blood drawn. And you had to go through all these things. And um, just facing all of that stuff is interesting to me because I'm not the type of person to just hear your story and be like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I really get drawn into it. <laughs> like those little minor <laughs> details, like I'm getting sucked in, like I'm watching a movie. I'm 
when I watch a good movie, I'm just mouth breathing because I just get hooked in the, in, the, in the good stories, you know. And I'm trying to think about the details you would have felt when you're dealing with the doctors and when they were telling you news. And uh, I'm trying to think about like what it would be like to sit in those or to lay down in those hospital beds and those sheets and have to be there for so long. And, you know, you're just it's, sometimes it might just be you and your thoughts. And I wonder, like, dang, what, what was she thinking? What would I think? Would I be afraid? Um, who would I who would I cry for? Would I cry? And, and I'm thinking about all this stuff, you know. And it's fascinating. All those little d- details people don't think about. I'm, I'm just, um, I'm blown away, right. you know. So, But I definitely just wanted to tell you that I feel like you've done an amazing job with your life. And thank you for coming on to this podcast sure, so much and you. yeah. sharing your story <laughs> with us. It's it's an amazing story. I'm sure it's going to be very inspiring to people out there when they hear when they when they hear you know. What. <laughs> um, so if anyone's going through a hard time, I'm sure she's willing to hear your story. Of course, she's. We want to have you on here again. You know, I'm sure there's more stuff to talk about. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there's um. We'll we'll have to draft together maybe another story because I feel yeah. like this podcast is going to be a big hit. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are going to be already interested. Already two hours, I think. Are we? <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people are going to listen to this. So if anyone out there has heard this story and feel like, you know, you want to hear more, just send a message or a Facebook message or something and ask questions. And if we get enough questions, maybe, we, you know, we'll throw one together fast. And sure. we'll have you on again if you're willing, if you have the time. Of course. Yeah, but just thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. sharing these hard to tell stories. I don't know how hard they were for you to tell, but thank you. I didn't cry. You didn't. You, you <laughs> kind of, okay, yeah, you almost, kind of did. just a little. <laughs> and that's the goal of, of the, the podcast is is uh, for people to tell their stories and to be inspiring to people, you know. And and I think people will be inspired, especially how you have a good positive outlook on life now with, with all everything that you went through. Right, right. Yeah, and I really love that that um saying uh, life happens for you not to you so that's awesome yeah if there's anything we can take away it's that you know you can always keep a positive attitude and maintain that good perspective and see amber if you need some help (laughs) thank you she knows what to say i promise all right well i don't have any more for her do do you think we should still do the 10 fun questions of the res you You know know, you know a lot about the res (laughs) yeah let's do this let's do the 10 questions it's it's the thing something we always do to close the show so yeah i'm sure you've lived around there you should know if not, just do the best you can. Okay. So this is 10 fun questions of the res. I'm just going to ask you questions and answer as fast as you can, whatever comes to your mind. Um, so the first question, what do you like better, East LA or Old Road? Have you been to any of those? Oh, yeah. That's not fair. <laughs> uh, bean burritos and chips and chili from Old Road and then pozole from East LA. Oh, nice. She does know. This is an easy one. Windows or broken arrow? Broken arrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me too. Hunting or fishing? Hunting. Tribal store or casino patchy travel center store? I've never been to travel store. Oh, no. So yeah. I have to go store. check it out. Yeah. Club 49 or actual Feast 49? I went years ago to Feast 49. Really? Yeah. We got to talk about that next time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother story. <laughs> yeah. Stuffed fry bread or fry bread with a bowl of chili? Fry bread with feast potato salad. Oh, she turned it on you. That's there's no wrong answer here. <laughs> My favorite thing about mescalero is the people. I am most thankful for My family. Favorite holiday. Oh, Thanksgiving. And the uh, last questions. I am blank and I love. 
that's all. I am Amber Luna, and I love. I love my husband. I love my family. That's awesome. All right, that's 10 fun questions of the rings, and that was another episode of Riding on the Wall podcast. Thank you, Amber, for being on the show. Really appreciate you. Thank you, Blue. And we'll see you next time. We'll all see right. you all next time. Later, guys. Mescalero. As you probably know by now, you're listening to a podcast. You get a chance for some of the unique stories out there um, to be heard and, if anything, inspire our community.